Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. My name is Guy from Guy's Woodshop, and as always, I'm joined by Hui of the Alabama Woodworker. Say hello, Hui. Hey, Guy. And Sean Walker of Simple Cove. Hey, Guy and Hui. What's up? Hey, Sean. Hey, Hui. Hey. <laughs> Sounds like public radio. Yeah. PBS. So this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you guys some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a Patreon account, and right now we have one level, and we're simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife. So let's get right to it. Hui, I think you have the first question. So this question is from Eric, and he writes, Howdy, guys. Love the podcast. Best on the web. Love it, Eric. Love it. I've taken on a garage cabinetry project for a friend. They're wanting melamine cabinets from floor to ceiling and would like your opinions on melamine table saw blades. I see there are two types, the triple chip and the steep bevel teeth. Is one better than the other? And is one more useful for other tasks also like veneered panels or plywood? We'll probably go with either Infinity or Force unless you have other suggestions. I'll be using two-sided melamine, don't have a track saw, so we'll be breaking them down with a circular saw and then to final dimension on the cabinet saw. And he mentions that he has a Powermatic 66. So thanks for all the insights you all share and for keeping it entertaining. Well, thank you, Eric. Okay, so um, so the first part of the question is, is one better than the other? And I believe when he's saying steep bevel, he's probably talking about a specific brand's version of a high alternating tooth bevel blade. It might be a, uh, I can't think of what it's called, where the teeth actually are raked back. Yeah, could possibly be that too, a combination of the two. But as far as, as far as I know, a high alternating tooth bevel, which is specific to cutting melamine or plywood, it's going to have like a high tooth count and usually somewhere around like 80 teeth. And the bevel of the tops of the teeth are alternating sides, alternating tooth bevel. And the bevel is a steep angle. So something usually greater than like 20 degrees. The high bevel angle is is intended to give you a chip-free cut on both sides of the melamine without using like a scoring blade or making uh, some type of scoring cut. I thought that was... You know, to give you a, a cleaner cut up top because that's the first cut. Yeah, but also on the bottom too. I think a lot of the blades will, at least that I know of, like for instance, the Royce High ATB claims to have give you a clean cut both on the top and the bottom for like the double-sided melamine. Okay. Whereas I think the triple chip is made more for endurance and more for high production cabinet shops. And the triple chip uh, has like this trapezoid uh, shape on one of the blades. So you think of like a flat bottom grind blade and you chop off the corners at 45. And then that alternates with a square top blade. And I believe the reason why that kind of blade is used is because it tends to stay sharper for longer and maybe more beneficial for like a high production shop. Uh, for me, if I were to choose one or the other, I would probably choose a high alternating uh, tooth bevel because uh, I'm using a cabinet saw similar to the Powermatic 66 and I don't have a scoring blade. And so the triple chip, while it probably gives a nice clean cut on the top, uh, it tends to cause chip out on the bottom or the side touching the cast iron. I know a lot of cabinet shops that are running like sliding table saws with scoring blades and processing like a ton of melamine tend to prefer the triple chip because they have a little bit more life to them. Guy, does the Altendorf at your work have a have? Does it have a scoring blade? And and if so, which blade are you guys using to process melamine or plywood? Well, we do not have an alternate Altendorf at work. We did when I first started there, but it was broken when I got there. Oh, okay. And okay. it cost it was going to cost like thirteen thousand dollars to fix it, and we My had goodness. to fly somebody in from out of state to do it. Oof. So we were leasing that machine from one of the, uh, like a volunteer for our, for our company. Cause when I said, we're a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. So we gave it back to him and we bought a grizzly. Mm-hmm. So we have the grizzly slider and that's what we've had for a while now. We use, I don't know anything about triple chip other than like triple chip chocolate chip cookies. 
Chips Ahoy. We use the Forest. It's a 12-inch blade, mm-hmm. but we use the Forest plywood melamine blade. Mm-hmm. And we do have a scoring blade okay. on it. Okay. And we've cut you know veneered plywood quite extensively on it. And to be honest with you, half the time we do not even use the scoring blade. And okay. there's no zero clearance insert on it. And I get clean cuts on both sides mm-hmm. of that blade. Right. I haven't had any issues at all with it. At home, I, I, I've used, I cut quite a bit of melamine and I do use a track saw to do it. Mm-hmm. So when I'm cutting melamine at home, I'm just using a track saw with the regular stock blade, mm-hmm. which is their plywood blade. And I'm making sure the uh, zero clearance thing on top is mm-hmm. pushed down. Yep. By the blade, it's a festool. It's got a little green thing that slides down from the blade that gives you zero clearance. And I cut it on foam. Yeah, I get no chip out on the top or the bottom. Right, right. So Eric says he doesn't have a track saw. I have cut it on my table saw also with the Forest Woodworker too, and have not had any issues either on the top or the bottom. Now on the on the slider, the Grizzly slider that you have at work that forest melamine blade is that do you, do you know whether or not that's a high tooth angle high alternating tooth bevel or is that well i guess i guess you don't exactly know or no i don't and and i i hate to say this but i do not get that granular on anything sure what's sure. working wise mm-hmm. so when people start asking out what's what angle do you grind your chisel blades at? i don't know <laughs> At this angle right here, I I said, I don't get that granular to start talking about different types of design of teeth. Mm -hmm. To me, I'm just more interested. I look at reviews and it says this cuts well or this doesn't cut well. I I look at a preponderance of that stuff and I say, okay, based on what other people are saying, Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy it. And that's it. I don't really care about that stuff, but that's me. Mm -hmm. I don't get bogged down in all the... I'll get bogged down in details. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of like you for the most part. I mean, I will switch over to if I'm cutting some sheet goods and I'm not lazy, I'll switch over to a high tooth count. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the most part, I use the uh, forced woodworker two on it and I've not had any tear out issues on melamine. And uh, same with the track saw. I'll use the, the blade. I, I, I'm not sure if I replaced it or not. I think I did replace it for a high tooth count. And, um, it, it cuts well, no issues. Again, I also cut it on foam and, uh, with the track saw, no issues. Yeah, that helps quite a bit. I I do, I do have a forest woodworker one also, which is for their, their, the miter saw. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've used that to cut plywood a couple of times just because it had a higher tooth count. Yeah. I've raised, if I'm also another tip is if you're concerned about cutting the veneer and getting tear out with it. Raise the blade up in your table saw to its highest point. It's a little dangerous. You got to make sure you know where that blade is. But mm-hmm. the, the, the teeth are going to come down at a much steeper angle. Yeah. And it's going to help with, with tear out and splintering. The few times that I have cut melamine, one of the things that I've done is a, is a shallow scoring cut. So I'll do a sc- shallow scoring cut on the bottom and then... Um, I'll raise the blade up a little higher than usual to get that higher uh, attack angle. Myself, the, the the melamine, and I, I've cut a lot of melamine in my time. Track saw is really good. And I know you don't have one, Eric. Yeah. So my recommendation is probably from what Hui is saying, that would be the steep bevel teeth. Yeah. Because it's cutting it at a more severe angle. And that's almost like I was talking about raising the, the blade up to a higher point. Because mm-hmm. the blades are going to cut at a, a steeper angle, and that helps a lot with the chip out. Yep. Well, cool. All right. Uh, Sean, I think you've got the next question. This is from Matt. He says, gents, thank you for the awesome format of this podcast. Love it. I started to think to get a scroll saw and then realized that CNC can do what I'm looking for as well, provided I'm willing to chop the rounded corners left by the CNC bit square. It seems the CNC is more versatile, so if I'm going to invest in a new skill, it might be the way to go. In your opinions, if price is not a factor, can a CNC fill the void of scroll saw fills, or do I need to learn to use both? Thanks, Matt. Now, you're asking three guys that either have a CNC or will be getting one very soon with Hui, but 
I personally would just get the CNC machine and this, you know, it all depends on what you're doing. You didn't say what you're going to be using the, the scroll saw for, yeah. by the way. So I'm going to preface this by saying that, uh, but just thinking out loud and, and you guys can jump in on this too, but I think the only thing a scroll saw can do that a CNC can't are bevel cuts, I believe. But I mm-hmm. guess you could sort of use, uh, achieve that maybe with a V-bit on a CNC. You know, you're going to be stuck with your or, standard. You know, uh, uh, some kind of wedge underneath your work. But yeah. That would take some real yeah. work yeah. inside <laughs> yeah. the software to get that to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I've not used a scroll saw more than about three or four times. Um, but other than the rounded corners, I think you're going to get pretty darn close uh, with a CNC that you can do on a scroll saw. Mm-hmm. Now, and also depending, since we're talking about money, price is not a factor, uh, depending on the stock thickness, um, some CNC machines, you can get a, a, a laser attachment. So if you're trying to cut some, uh, some thinner veneer or something for some oh, marquetry or whatever, yeah. you could get a, a, a laser attachment and you're going to get some nice crisp corners and I'm not sure how but, thick but, you can but, cut, but it burn, it burns the wood. It leaves a noticeable burn mark singe on mm-hmm. the end yeah yeah everything i've ever seen with the laser it's obvious it's been cut with the laser hmm. yeah that's true well uh if you want pieces that are cut that have burnt ends your laser <laughs> attachments for you do a little sand sorry. shading sorry Sean. Sand yeah, shading. there you go now you can get extremely tiny bits you know really really super tiny if you get an eighth inch uh, adapter for your collet, you can go extremely small. Yeah, and plus, you six, can get sixteenth inch is a pretty tight corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. and you yep. can go. Um, I think you can you can go tapered on the bit, and depending again on how thick of the stock, you can go even smaller. Um, I've got mm-hmm. some metal cutting bits that are super super tiny. So it just all depends on what you're going to be uh using the uh CNC to fill the void of a scroll saw. You're going to have the um the the versatility of a CNC machine you're going to be able to do more with it. Mm-hmm. Um I personally would choose the CNC machine and um it, you know you're talking prices no not a factor then why not go buy a $150 scroll saw as well and throw in the in the cabinet <laughs> when you're not using it. <laughs> yeah. But uh I don't know. Guy, I'll pass it off to you. What, what do you think about this question from Matt? It's a good question, Matt. And the, the, the thing is, and Sean hit the nail on the head, depends on what you're using it for. Myself, I've never even owned a scroll saw. I don't even know if I've ever used one, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different animal that does a, a very specific task. If you're doing like marquetry or parquetry, I can see having a scroll saw because, you know, you can yeah. do the, the the angle cuts and all that with it. And it's got to be better than doing it by hand. If you're doing a lot of fret work on pieces, I can see where the, 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 the scroll saw would really come into play. I know like uh, Jenny Bowles at, at Willow Woodworks, I mean, the, the stuff she does with the scroll saw is incredible. I don't know why she doesn't have a CNC, <laughs> the amount of sign work she does. Yeah. But she's really good at it, and I think it's like a therapeutic thing for her. But she does real good work with that and doesn't have a CNC. Mm-hmm. Um, myself, since I don't do any fret work and I've never had a use for a scroll saw because I don't do marquetry or parquetry, I – to me, the CNC is a better value. And like Sean said, you can get some pretty small bits. I mean, I've got 16th inch bits that I use for doing inlay all the time. Yeah. And an inside corner uh, with a 16th inch bit is pretty darn tight. Yep. You just have to slow the feed rate down of the machine and not take off too big of a pass and you'll be fine. I think you could do fret work pretty easily on a CNC. Yeah. There's my two cents. Now I actually have a scroll saw, but I have it for kind of the similar reasons that you mentioned guy is that, you know, I want to, I wanted to try my hand at, at uh, marquetry and I've done it a couple of times. Actually, no, I'm not even a couple. I've only done it one time. It's about all, all the time I've had to do, to practice. <sighs> yeah, I definitely a CNC is going to be a lot more versatile for you. And as, the, considering the fact that those bits are so tiny that come with it you're going to be able to cut a really tight corner 
again, it they're two very different skill sets. You know, if you're wanting something a little more therapeutic or maybe, you know, more motor skill intensive, then I can understand having the scroll saw. But if, if you're looking at more uh, being able to do a lot of different things that take a whole different skill set, by the way, then then, yeah, get a skills, uh, get a CNC. You know, it makes sense there because it's just a, l- a lot more versatile. When you get a CNC machine, there's a lot of other things that you've got to think about. And one of the the biggest things is holding your work down. And if you're, again, cutting super, super thin material on a CNC machine, it's going to be a little difficult to um, to get that off of the bed if you're you know using double-sided tape. Yeah. Uh, if you're using, if you're trying to cut the entire piece out, you can do tabs. Uh, so it, it you've got to learn quite a bit. It's not just throw it in there and, and cut it. You got to program it. You got to figure out your tool paths. You've got to uh, figure out your hold downs. Scroll saw, you, you you cut it. You know, and you you figure out hold it, cut it, drill a hole, put the bit through there, and uh, and cut it. Uh, so that's it's definitely. It's apples and oranges, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was going to say, we brought up a good point. It's like, how do you want to spend your time? Mm-hmm. Do you want to spend your time? And because I, I should say, should preface that for enjoyment and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. How do you want to spend your time? Yep. To me, getting your, you know, quote unquote, hands dirty and doing it with the scroll saw, like if you're doing fret work or something like that, mm-hmm. that's like a an operation born out of the passion for doing it. Yep. C and C is a very, you know, it's a very cold machine. There's no romance to it at all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's your computer and a machine that does the work for you. Mm-hmm. So if you're more interested about, and in just getting, getting it done and you don't care how it's done and you don't get any type of spiritual enjoyment out of doing it, get the CNC. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And when you first get your CNC machine and you hit that start button and you're like, is it going to smash? Is it going to go too deep? It's yeah. fun. <laughs> I mean, it's literally, it will do what you tell it to do. And sometimes it'll do, Yeah, it's a robot. That's the unfortunate sure. to do. It does exactly what you tell it to do. Right? Yep. Unfortunately, yes. When I first started, I had a tool path that went, in the X so many inches and then the Y for like 43 feet. So Ooh. the CNC went doo, doo, just like, crashing uh, into the stops. <laughs> yeah. I just kept going. Bunk, 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 bunk. I was like, what is it doing? And I looked at this, um, the code and it, of course it's going to go 43 feet. Exactly. Like you told it <laughs> a lot of learning. Yeah. All right, guy. I think it's back to you. This question is from Brent Jarvis, our friend over at Clean Cut Woodworking. Hey, Brent. He's a uh, pretty common questioner on the show. We always like getting questions from Brent. Yeah. So he's got this easy question for you today. Not really. Um, What's the number one math you hate to do in the shop? For me, it's calculating measurements on the router. For instance, let's say I'm making a template to use a guide bushing on. For some reason, getting that perfect measurement from center to the edge makes me cringe. I agree with you. It always makes me think five, think it through two or three times before I, I'm confident with it. Mm-hmm. Another in this aspect is measuring from the base of the router to the center of the oh. bit or even the blade of the bit for a groove or dado. Just always seems to make me want to call it quits and grab a beer. Well, any time is a good time to call it quits and grab a beer, unless it's eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, oh, and he's got some. He's got some comments here. Let's see what it says. Guy, you're almost as cool as your Lamello. <laughs> Thank you for your time, and please keep up the absolutely wonderful work y'all are doing on the podcast. Oh, that was nice of you. <laughs> he totally what? skipped all the other comments. Yeah, that, <laughs> what, what other comments? Yeah, I'm looking at that spreadsheet. Oh, there. okay, okay. Hold on a second. He also <laughs> says, "We, your work is almost as intense as your social media posts, and Sean, you're just about as fancy as your finished pieces." <laughs> I, I I did I, I didn't see those lines. I'm sorry, guys. Oh uh, yeah, I understand. So, I love it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of things that I hate about doing math in the shop, and it mostly has to do with fractions. Mm-hmm. Some days, 
when I'm when I'm more lucid than others, I can do math in my head pretty damn quick. Mm-hmm. Mainly because like, well, when I was a young lad, we didn't have calculators. Well, we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and we learned. <laughs> no, it's, we didn't. <laughs> I mean, we just didn't have calculators. Would you have those so, slide rules or what are, what are those things no, called? We didn't, we didn't, no, we, abacus. We didn't. Yes. There, there were abacuses, but we didn't use those either. We were taught to do math. <laughs> we were taught to do math with a pencil and paper, and we were taught shortcuts on how to do things in our heads. Yeah. That's how I learned to do math. But some days I, I'm my, my head is in a very good spot, and I can do math in my head, and I don't think twice about it. But there's some days I it's like, Oh, is that right? Oh, maybe yes, no. But it's always addition and subtraction with fractions that always seems to get me for some reason. Another thing that gets me is anytime I gotta divide something into thirds or fifths or some an odd number, it always screws me up, especially when you're dealing with the fractions. So I got a mm-hmm. I got a board that's 18 and nine sixteenths wide mm-hmm. and I want to divide it into five equal portions. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. That's a great one. And my, my solution to that is actually very simple. You go metric. I go metric. Yeah. I use metric quite a bit now. I don't have it. I don't have it on my machines is the only issue. Cause I got a lot of stops and stuff set up on machines, but for me, I can do calculations much easier when I'm doing stuff like that. You know, Brent's talking a lot about like a, the temple of the guy bushing or, or measuring something and stuff like that. That that can be a little bit daunting. But when you're just doing simple math, it's much easier to deal with whole numbers mm-hmm. that you have with the, the metric system. Yep. And a lot of those metric numbers can be converted. Once you get the number, you can convert them back to imperial mm-hmm. for the for the gauges on your machines yep so that's the thing i always have problems with is like i said dividing stuff up into equal sections mm-hmm. what about you sean uh i agree i mean that's exactly what i was gonna say like today um i had a really nice piece of walnut that i wanted to keep the center section the center i think i don't know two inches but the board was like seven and 17, one twenty eights or some weird number. <laughs> I wanted to keep, you know, cut off the outsides and keep the center. So, um, just went metric, figured it out much, much easier. And I finally bought my first metric tape measure. It It's tempting to, to, uh, completely switch over because yeah. when someone says it's 400, whatever. And I'm like, what, what is that? I can't picture that in my head. What that dimension yeah. is. Yeah. It's hard to visualize metric. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it that's is. something that I that I really need to, to work on. Forty eight hundred millimeters or four hundred millimeters or something like that. It just throws me off. Is there anything else that drives you nuts about like maybe a tool or something like that? You know, trying to figure out how to set it up because he brings that up with the the guide bushings and the uh, measuring from the base of the router to the center of the bit. Mm-hmm. No, I mean I, I definitely agree with that, and you know I have the the mobile base on one of my Bosch plunge routers and of course it uh it's not perfectly centered so i always have to mark the other one side that i've measured but no i mean nothing else is coming to mind i don't get too fancy with the these tools like that i'll tell you something that i just always screws me up is setting the shims for a dado stack i mean i'll get really close and then i'll put in a shim and it's like how the heck is it oversized (laughs) like how did i make it I put the little yeah. shim in there and now it won't fit. <laughs> you know, it's too loose. Do you now. use a, a calipers to do it? I don't know. See, I use calipers. I'll make a test cut. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll get the, you know, measurement and thousands of an inch on that. Yeah. And you go to the and next I'll measure my shim. board mm-hmm. and then I'll measure the shim. Yeah. What? Wow. Wait, you don't do that? No, I don't. He's what? an engineer. I don't. Do I really don't. You just you just like throw it up against what the wall and see what'll work. What's yeah. that? <laughs> I'm cave you're a caveman. Yeah. What's wrong with you, Sean? Do you use the caliper method? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I know the caliper. I know what you're talking about, and I have done that, but I don't do it on a regular basis. Usually, I just like grab the next. You know, uh, you got to have your engineering card pulled. 
That's that's a yeah. big. Foul. I know, I know, I know. That's probably something where I really should be using, you know, my engineering brain for it, but uh, you know, I don't. So, <laughs> but it frustrates me. You know, I get to a point. It's like, man, how in the world did I? I know exactly why, because I'm not measuring my shim. But anyway, still. Here's one that I always wonder about. I see people doing it all the time. They're using their, you know, combination square or double square to set the height of their table saw blade. Yeah, I don't I don't get that. What do you mean? Well, they'll say I want to set the blade up a quarter inch and they take their their combination square, set it to a quarter of an inch and they'll go, well, this is about the highest that it is on my blade. I mean, I, I use it. I use my double square. I don't do it that way. I'll sand it up uh, 90 degrees to the left of it and then raise it that. How do you raise your blade and set the height? I use these, these, uh, this is not an ad. And Craig makes these little height bars. Yeah. Setup blocks. Setup blocks. Yeah. And they're like, it's hard to describe the way they are, but they have like a little cutout in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's say it's like three quarters of an inch or half an inch, let's say. And what I do is I I set it down flat mm-hmm. on the, because it'll extend past the insert. Mm-hmm. So I'm referencing off the table itself because mm-hmm. they're fairly long. They're about four or five inches long. Mm-hmm. I set it over there and I, and I eyeball the blade and I just raise the blade up until it touches the top of that thing. And I'm, I'm like perfect every time. And I don't have to worry about trying to find the highest tooth or anything like that because the, the silhouette of the blade is I'm looking through it at yeah. that level. Yeah. I'm always going to get the the height of it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah I, yeah. I mean, I use my double square. I don't, I don't do that, but I'm not the one to, you know, spend the money on stuff like that. I like using a setup block. And again, also the same thing, not an ad, but I have the woodpeckers setup blocks. I like those a lot. I, I do actually feel, you know, the highest tooth and I, you know, put the block up next to it and you know, I can feel when it's right flush, you know, so that's what I do. I could definitely see how these would, would be a, probably a little bit faster once you get them out of your cabinet, open them up, pull the right one out. But I just find that if you set the double square down to the left of the blade in the 90 degree position, not over top of it, find the highest tooth, line it up. Boom. Yeah, that's what I do. Uh, all right. Yeah. Just wondering, just wondering. So I think it goes back to Hui. Yep. Yep. Sean. No, oh. it's me. Yep. I think you. I think you should arm wrestle for it. <laughs> <laughs> virtual arm it. wrestle. Yeah. Can Can you virtual arm wrestle? Yeah. With social distancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this question is from Ray, and he writes: My question is regarding miter stations. Do I really need one? The last nope. cu- <laughs> the last couple of Next. years, I've been, <laughs> I've been using a cordless jigsaw to break down rough stock and precision cross cuts. I've used my Incra 5000 when building tabletops. I square up with my track saw, so no need there. Do you guys find that find them integral to your processes? I should add, I intend to begin focusing on building rocking chairs, not having built a rocker before. I'd like to know if the miter saw becomes more or less important in that specific application. So I am going to say no. I don't think you need a miter saw station for what you're doing or plan on doing for that matter. As I recall, when I built my rocker, there were a couple of angles cut at the legs to attach the rockers that I I did actually cut those at the miter saw. Um, but if I had like like you have, Ray, an Incra 5000 or an equivalent sled on the table saw, I could have used some type of blocking or bracing um, coupled with the hold downs that the hold down tracks that you have on that Incra 5000 and, and make that same cut on the table saw. Now, now, Sean, you, you made a couple of bar stools, I believe about a year ago. Is that right? Uh, two or three years ago, I think. That Cherry. long ago. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, were there any cuts you made uh, at the miter saw that you felt you couldn't have done on like the table saw or that might have required a miter station to make your life easier? The only thing that I can say is I used it um, to break down rough stock, but no, nothing else in there needed yeah. to be cut on the miter saw. Yeah. I, I think because he has that sled, it's so versatile and, you know, you don't have to actually use the set detents or the set angles on the Incra 5000. You can, you know, there's so many hold down opportunities 
and bracing opportunities with the Inc. 5000 or, you know, any shops, shop made sled that you might have. I mean, I think, I think you're going to be fine for what you're talking about here. Rocking chairs. Absolutely. So, well, I, I didn't, I, I take his question two different ways. His first question is my question is regarding miter saw stations. Mm-hmm. Do I really need one? And then you start listening to the rest or reading the rest of the question. It's actually, he's asking, do I need a miter saw? Yeah. yeah that's I'll target. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm confused, Ray, but that's just why I'm reading it. So when we said, do I need, my question is regarding my, I said, no, you don't need a miter saw stations. I don't even know how this miter saw station craze started where everybody's got to have this 20 foot long <laughs> monstrosity in their shop with 50 drawers in it. I understand the value of it. Mm-hmm. And I think for some people, that's a really cool thing to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the storage. I love the storage. Yeah, I dig it. I've yeah. got storage elsewhere, so I don't need all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, uh, and that's why I don't, I don't have one. Right. But his question is more, do I really need a miter saw? Yeah. So the, yeah. the, the, my answer to that Ray is maybe. <laughs> so it depends. It all boils down to what you're doing again. Yeah. I mean, I use my miter saw a lot. I built a picture frame for my, my wife recently mm-hmm. and I actually used my miter saw, not my anchor 5,000. I used my, my mess, my miter saw to cut those 45 degrees. Cause I know my saw cuts perfectly at 45 degrees with no deflection. There's not a lot of miter saws that you can do that with. Miter saws are almost in some cases a very rough tool. If you get a cheap one, mm-hmm. um, they're good. F- if you can, if you know how to use that particular model of saw properly, I mean, you can buy a, a what is it? Chicago electric or whatever the hell they have at Harbor freight. Yeah. Yeah. And if you know how to hold it properly and how to slide it properly without torquing it, flexing without it, torquing, torquing it, yeah. it or deflecting it one way or the other, mm-hmm. you can get some pretty damn accurate cuts. But you have to be aware of how that thing works before you do it. There's going to be instances. So do you need one? Eh, maybe because there's going to be times, you know, I've got an Anchor 5000, which I use all the time. The thing with it is, though, if I'm cutting, let's say, multiple parts and the parts are 60 inches long, the Anchor 5000 and they're and they're the, the pieces are six inches wide mm-hmm. and you're trying to do a, a miter on them, a 30 degree miter, let's say. That's a big task on a table saw sled. Yeah, that's a big piece of wood to be pushing across that thing to get really accurate cuts consistently. Mm-hmm. That's where a miter saw really comes in handy because you set your stop up. It's designed to cut, you know, mine will do 12 inch cross cut. So how long of a board were you just saying? Like a five or six foot board. Okay. And you need to cut angles on the ends of them mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I don't know what situation that would be. I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility. Yeah. That's what I think. It's like, it's like, okay, I've got the, the, the Incra 5000, which is a great tool, and that'll get you by 90, 95% of the time. Right. But there are times where I just want to, I don't want to have to go over, grab a piece, lock it down, mm-hmm. make sure it's right, make sure everything is out of the way before I take this four-foot board and push it through so it doesn't knock anything over. I just walk over my miter saw and go, boom, I'm done. And it's got a laser on it. The laser's accurate. Yeah. I mean, I just draw a line on the board. I go over there and boom, I'm done. Yeah, I think it completely depends on what your workflow is like in your shop. Exactly. What you do. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this a hobby? Because in my shop, I only break down rough stock with my miter saw. And I would love to potentially, potentially phase it out. I've tried before, but um, I just found it. It's it's a convenience tool for me for breaking yeah. down rough stock because the jigsaw that I have, I bought a cordless M12 Milwaukee. It just, it's way too slow, underpowered. Uh, so I always have to break out the Bosch jigsaw that I have to plug up. And then I'm just like, eh, forget it. I'm just going to cut it with the miter saw. But that can be dangerous if yeah. you're not careful. Yeah, it can be, but you can also do it and it not be dangerous. So 
I, I dig it, but I just, I've, I've had kickback a couple times and I just won't do it anymore. Yeah. I can't tell you the last time I've had kickback, just cutting it. You, you don't just pull it down and cut it on twisted boards. There's a different way that you've got to handle it. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's worth saying, I guess that, you know, it's definitely, yeah. a, it's not straightforward. Yeah, for sure. Or you could continue using your jigsaw. I guess what I'm saying for my shop is I don't touch my miter saw after breaking down rough stock. So it's mm-hmm. it's some space that I could you know possibly regain in my shop by getting rid of it. I've tried, but eventually I still go back to it because it's just so convenient. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will yeah. say if I have a board that is milled um, and I have it's five six feet long, I ran into this the other day that I'm using the Inker five thousand on. I'll just measure it out accordingly cut it, cross cut it to make it shorter. And now I'm dealing with smaller pieces that I can batch out. And the reason why I'm saying that is because it's fresh on the memory from me having to do this the other day with the Incra yeah. and a really long board. Yeah. So, I mean, there's ways around that. It just depends. Do you need it? No, you don't. And it yeah. sounds like you're getting along just fine without it. Uh, I mean, would it be nice to have something that could cut perfect 45s and it's accurate that you wouldn't use for breaking down rough stock? I mean, if you have the room, if you have the money, Sure. It's a convenience yeah. tool. Yep. And that's, that's, that's the real issue. There's not many saws out there that you could say, I made a, a perfectly square picture frame using my, my sliding compound miter saw. Most of them won't give you that kind of accuracy. Mm-hmm. There's only a few I can think of. Mm-hmm. So and I'm not going to name them because people will think I'm promoting something, which I'm not. Um, the other question is miter saw stations where these big, huge wall units, I think the first one I ever saw was Jay Bates did one on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And then the, everybody started, you know, I've got to build one, which is like I said, cool. And I dig it, but it, it was just never for me. I have a, my miter saw, my miter saw station, I'm using air quotes here is a base. And inside that base is a vac with the dust deputy and a, the shop vac has a HEPA filter in it with the dust deputy and a, you know, one of those, uh, IVAC switches, mm-hmm. all the dust collection is built right into the stand yeah. that the saw sits on. And it's just got wings that go out like, I think two and a half feet on either side, three feet on either side, three foot on one side and two foot on the other side. But I have extensions that I can put in my uh, Incra rails that yeah. I use on those extensions where I can cut up to like 70, I think it's like 78 inches hmm. with a stop if I need to. So yeah. mine doesn't take up much space at all. And I can fold those same wings down if it gets in the way or right. move it out of the way. So mm-hmm. does that answer Does that answer the question? Or did yeah, we I think it answers the question. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. I'm, I'm rambling tonight. That's all right. I've been drinking heavily for the last couple hours. So, <laughs> All right, Sean, you've got the next question. All right. This is from Hunter. Uh, I'm starting to make more and more cabinet type projects. Do you have any cabinet building books you recommend? I want to make sure I'm doing things correctly. Uh, I selfishly took this because although I do have one book, I'm interested in uh, hearing from you guys about any learning material books, DVDs, online uh, resources for building cabinets because it's a tough subject and it seems, you know, everybody has a different method for doing stuff. But, uh, the book that I have is from popular woodworking and it's called simply built cabinets, plan, build, install the easy way to get great results. And I think it was made or released in, I want to say 2011, maybe, I don't know if that's the reprint date. Um, I mean, it covers the designing and building cabinets, the anatomy, uh, assembly procedures, and it's it's everything. Wall-hung face frame cabinets, um, the hardware, the finishing, the installation, the countertops. I've not read a whole lot into this, but it, uh, it lays it out pretty well on the uh, construction and measuring and all of that stuff. Again, I took this question because it's very difficult to just go buy one book and then and let that be the uh, the Bible that you that you go by for making cabinets because it's it's just a controversial topic. It's like, what is the best way to do something? I don't, I don't know if there necessarily is a right answer for that. You know, that's why I'm, I'm curious to hear from you guys, like guy back in the day before the internet and before uh color TV, how did you happen to learn cabinet making? 
<laughs> Not by books, but from magazines. There was always articles in magazines about simple cabinet design and building cabinets. There was also these things called VHS tapes <laughs> that you could get. This was before DVDs and Blu-ray and now streaming. But there, there, there you could get, actually, there was, I remember beta too. Um, mm-hmm. But there was a lot of that out there. I, I, I can't recommend any books because if I, I think if I got a book about building cabinets, I think it would be too much. It would be information overload for me. I just want the basics and then I can figure things out for myself pretty easy. Cabinets themselves are a pretty easy animal if you understand how they go together. And once you have the basics down, then it starts to really get into the nuances of the cabinet, which is mostly doors and drawers. Building cabinets is a cakewalk. It's nothing. It's easy. Getting your doors and drawers right, that's where the magic is. That's where the real skill is. Yeah. So if you do any type of cabinet work, and like I said, this is me anyways, I don't know any books I can recommend, but I would read as much as you can about how to install kitchen doors or cabinet doors and how to install drawers on slides. Yeah. There's a lot of information out there. And if you want the definitive video on how to build a kitchen cabinet, go to YouTube, (laughs) go to guys wood (laughs) shop. And I just posted a video not too long ago about how to build kitchen cabinets from start to finish. So you like Love how I, I set you up for that? That's why I took this question. I oh. know. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. The only thing I can add, I do have a book that I like a lot. It's uh, Bob Lang's The Complete Kitchen Cabinet Maker. It shows face frame cabinets, frameless cabinets. It actually talks about making doors and drawers and installing uh, drawer fronts and drawers and doors. Um, it's a it's a pretty good comprehensive book. I I think what I like most about it is that it's it's pretty easy to follow. It you know you can use it as a reference book just to look up something small, but then you can read an entire section about frameless cabinets and and get the ideas and the information that you need. Uh, but very much like Guy said, making boxes that's not the hard part. It's the doors and the drawers. The hardware, that's where that's where it gets a little bit difficult, can get a little dicey, and just making sure that everything is accurate so that you know the your, your drawer fronts all line up so you get the even reveal and you, you know it looks good. That's where all the planning comes in. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Knowing, you know, knowing how how big to make your rails and styles so that uh, you know, if you're using cope and stick, making sure that your final dimension is what it's supposed to be to get the nice reveal that you need. That's where the work really is. Making the box is not that bad. It's it's well, it's pretty easy. Well, what I got caught up on, I mean, I guess you can look at it at two different ways. You got construction method and then you mm-hmm. got the measurements. Yeah. Um, you know, if you watch five videos, I'm not going to say only on YouTube, if you watch five box, uh, construction method videos, you're going to see five different methods. You're going to see some that do a solid back, some that do a strip at the top and the bottom. And yep. I just find that confusing. I'm like, I, if I make a cabinet, I want to make sure that a, it's the right way to build it. It's going to hold up. If it's got, if it's an upper and it's going to hold, um, you know, plates and stuff, I don't want the dang thing to fall. I just want like tell me the correct way to construct the cabinet box. Yes, I can just put three pieces of plywood together, but is that wasting material? Can I get away with something else? Um, and I guess that I, I just overanalyze stuff like that. And when I look at a book, you know, it, it tells me how to do it one way. Then I look online and it tells me how to do it another way. And I'm like, dang, which one, which way should I do it? I guess that's where I get stuck. Yeah. And my recommendation for that is go to YouTube Search guy for guys wood shop, <laughs> and there's a video there on how to make kitchen cabinets. What happens if your video shows a different construction method than this book? Who's right? That's what I need mine, to know. Mine is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, you, you guys are absolutely right. It's all about <laughs> measuring your your coping stick and all of that stuff. That's the that's that a you're using solid wood. So if you mess that up, it's going to be expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. 
I hope that helps. And uh, Hunter, he we, we chatted on uh, Instagram, DM me. He said he was going to reach out to uh, Freddie Roman to see if he had any recommendations. So I will follow up with him. If he does, I will post that on the resources page for this blog episode on our blog. Freddie Roman, what does he know about building cabinets? Who's he? I don't he? know. <laughs> I don't know. I think he has a podcast with a couple of folks that yeah, that we know. He's, you know, he's, he's, yeah. a, he's, he's a clown. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love Freddie. Guy, you got All the right. last question, man. Yeah. Oh, I got the last Wait, question. are you the host today? Nope. <laughs> I was going to say, you just won't let anybody else, you won't let finish okay. it off to somebody that's, else. That's, that's okay. That's okay. He's got his little power trip going on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So this question is from Tony. And actually, this is the second, he actually sent us an email a while back and had three questions on it. I think we've answered one of the questions already. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to answer another one of the questions. So I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. He recently sold a Felder 531 sliding table saw shaper combo. It was just too large for my home garage. Oh, that's got to hurt, man. Plus all the Felder accessories took up so much room. However, I want to replace it with the saw stop cabinet saw. So this is one of the questions he had about the saw stop. And he says, saw stop has a sliding table option. And as you can tell, I love sliding tables from his from his old Felder. However, is it worth the big bucks for this option if I could just get the Incra sliding miter 5000? And we kind of answered a little bit of this before, but the, it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes less room, but what do I lose by going this way? So the sliding table saw is a completely different animal than the sliding table option on the saw stop number one yeah the sliding table option on the saw stop is mainly to help you from what from what i can see to break down sheet goods doesn't the the uh, cross member get in the way when you try to rip boards a certain width weren't you talking about that sean I uh, don't recall saying that. I'm not familiar with it. In order for the sliding member to to not be in the way, you either have to take it off or you have to uh, tilt it at its uh, highest angle, which I think is 60 degrees, something to like that. To get it out of the way. To get it out of the way. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's one thing. It really depends on what you like the sliding table option for. Now, I know we have one at work. It's a It's a 10-foot throw. 12 inch sliding table. And I'm, I I had never used one before and I'm just starting to learn how to use it properly. Mm -hmm. I was just breaking down sheet goods on it. If I needed to rip a four, a board four inch wide, I was going over to the saw stop because I, it just was an uncomfortable way of using the the sliding table. So now I'm, now I'm used to it. I'm getting better with it. I'm getting more comfortable with it. I'm using a lot more. But mm-hmm. the sliding table option of the saw stop is—it's more like a big crosscut sled. Yeah, is really yeah. what it is. It doesn't do the same thing. I don't think that a sliding table saw will do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an anchor. I think all three of us have the Miter Five Thousand. Is that correct? Yep. Yes. Awesome! 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 Don't waste your time building a crosscut sled. Just buy the Incrementer 5000 and be done with it. That is a great tool to have in your shop. I, I don't know. What do you guys think about this? I mean, ultimately, doesn't it come down to capacity if you're looking at these two options? I mean, yeah. uh, again, I, we always say this. We don't know what you're making in Correct. your shop. The size of the material are using sheet goods. Ultimately, in my opinion, just comes down to capacity. What is the sliding table option going to give you versus the 5,000? Will you ever need something like that? Do you have a track saw? I think we answer questions by asking more questions, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. But I mean, it's just how long is a string? Uh, you know, we don't know. We need more information. Uh, in my shop, there's no way I, I would just stick with the 5,000. There are a couple of different mounting situations that you can have with the sliding crosscut sled whatever i don't know it's just a crosscut sliding whatever sliding it is table. yeah the sliding, sliding table, sliding on, table. Yeah. yeah 
for the uh, saw stop. And you can either do a flush mount where the base of the slider is flush with the rails. And so I think that's like 36 inches or something like that, 36 inch cut capacity. Or you can recess the front of the slider from the front of the rails of the saw stop and get a 48 inch capacity. So yeah, you, I think you're exactly right, Sean. I think it really does come down to cut capacity. If you're used to processing sheet goods on that type of a saw, then uh, you might miss that. But if space is an issue for you, I mean, you're really you're adding quite a bit of space with that uh, with that slider. Not nearly as much as like you know your Felder machine, but you are adding space. So if your ultimate goal is to reduce space while still have a decent amount of capacity, I'll, I'll tell you what, don't get the slider, get a track saw, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. if, if that's, space- that's a really, that's a really good point. I think right. that slider is like a thousand bucks. Isn't yeah. It? It's not cheap. No, I think it's like mm-hmm. 12. Well, it's, it's around a thousand bucks. Yeah. Maybe 1200. Yeah. I can't remember, but it, it's not cheap. And so, I mean, if space is an issue, then get a track saw and then you can, you don't have the same space issue, you know? I don't know. That that's my that's my take on it, you know. I, I considered it when I first got my saw and then I just quickly dismissed it because my thought was it takes yeah, up too much room. It takes up too much room and I'm I'm so used to processing sheet goods with a track saw now. Um mm-hmm. and it's it's just a to me it seems like a much more versatile tools. You know, it, there are the, there are times where where bringing the tool to the material makes a lot more sense. And generally speaking, when you're bringing the tool to the material, the tool is a lot smaller. The only thing that some people don't like about the track saw is that they have not mastered doing their final cuts with the track saw. Mm -hmm. They're still just using it as a tool to break down the sheet goods and then go over to their table saw and cut it on the table saw. I see that a lot. Yeah. You know, people using their, their, their track saws. Well, I'm using the track saw and then I take it over to the table saw and I cut it to final length and width. And I said, I don't do that. I cut, I cut, I cut my everything to the final dimensions hmm. on the track. So I only cut it once. See, I, um, I like to do my ripping cuts on the, on the table saw. So I'll, I'll get everything really? to, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get everything, every, everything, <laughs> everything to, uh, to width. And then I'll just rip everything on the table saw. Or length, excuse me, and then I'll just rip it on the table saw. Um, Why? Just because I guess I'm. I feel like I'm faster doing it that way. Um, so you're, you're cutting it twice? No, 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 no. I cut it once to final, whatever the final length is, and then I cut the widths on the table saw. So you you only cross cut with your yeah with your yeah yeah saw. yes 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 okay. yeah 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I also use my table saw for final dimensioning. I just. I crawl around on the floor and it's easier for me to just use the table saw with the fence and just, it's more accurate for me and my shop to use the table saw because yeah, I just don't have the room. I'm crawling on the well, floor. One, one thing, one thing I gave up on when I know we're getting off into the weeds here, I'm sorry. Uh, one thing I gave up on was trying to maximize my yield mm. on, on plywood. I just start cutting it up. I need these pieces. I, I rip everything first. And then I cross cut afterwards. I do it exactly the opposite way. And mm-hmm. if I use an extra half a sheet of plywood for a project, so be it. I'm mm-hmm. not there for, you know, three hours trying to figure out, well, I got to get this piece here and out of this piece of here, out of this piece here. And even if you have software to do it, you still, you're running around in circles trying to get these pieces out of this four by eight sheet of plywood. I yeah. just start cutting it up. I always order extra anyways. So I just start cutting it up. I do actually try to maximize yield. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that, 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 that's what, that's what really takes extra time. It does figure it out, but actually cutting it takes a ton of extra mm-hmm. time. No, it do, you're right. It does. It does. It does for sure. All right. Hope that helps. Let's, uh, is that the final question? Yeah. Yeah. I think so, so are you the host now? I guess so. <laughs> got to keep this, got to keep this ship moving. Yeah. He, he's just, Really just taking over for me, man. I'm doing a bad job. Am I doing a bad job? You're doing a great if you, job. If man. you guys think I'm doing a bad job out there listening, not only write what a bad job I'm doing and I should be kicked off the show, <laughs> but send us some questions. We need questions from everybody. So yeah. we're, we're getting a little light on questions. Yeah. 
So please send them in and along with it, tell Sean and we why they need to kick me to the curb. (laughs) Keep it to a minimum. (laughs) Yeah. So I think we've hit the point in the show where we were going to talk about what's going on in our shop. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sean, why don't you tell us what's going on? You got some big, exciting news, don't you? Or did you talk about that last time? Well, I think I may have talked about it last time. I got a couple things going on in my uh, neck of the woods. First thing, getting used to the bandsaw. Um, It's amazing. Um, The Hammer N4400, big difference versus the Porta Cable. Second thing, (laughs) yeah. Second thing, uh, I'm actually starting a project and making a couple, two little stools for my niece and nephew to sit on. Um, And I'm not going to be filming this project. This is the first time in probably... I don't know, three, four, five years that I've not filmed a project. I don't know how to act without a camera and moving it from tool to tool and focusing it, raising it, lowering it, man. So it's going to be nice to not film a complete project, even though they're just a couple of small stools, they're still going to, you know, it's going to be nice. And, um, the last thing is, uh, getting ready to kick off another, uh, contest on simplecove.com. And speaking of Brent. Um, he's going to be the sponsor. He's got a pretty cool, uh, router sled that he sells that he's going to be giving away to the winner. Uh, and Michael Hill is, uh, yeah, Michael Hill is going to be the guest judge, which I think he's a listener of the podcast. So Mm -hmm. that's what I have going on. You're going to see me post more about that on my Instagram. Um, what about you? We'll bounce it to you. What do you have going on in your shop? I haven't done much. I did all the domino joinery for the uh, panels for an entryway bench that I've been working on forever. But I also uh, did a lot of SketchUp work for the new house that uh, my wife and I are building. I, I laid out all the tools and everything in SketchUp uh, so that I know where I want the tools to be in the new shop when it gets built. And then I also uh, edited and released a video this weekend. Finally, it's been a really long time since I've put something up on YouTube, but um, it's been a long time coming. So I'm really happy to get that done. And hopefully I get a system in place where I can actually do that on a little bit more of a regular basis. But How about you, Guy? You're back at work now, right? Yeah, I got a quick question for you. So are you, are you building a separate shop or are you going to put it in your garage? No, 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 no. It's it's going to be in my garage. Yeah, it's it's okay. going to be garage shop. Very similar to the, you know, when I when I talked to you guy, I, I mentioned that uh, oh well, it's significantly smaller. I completely miscalculated the size of my shop. In fact, actually, the only difference is about fifty square feet. It's about um, four and a half feet shorter in length, uh, so it's not really that much difference in in size from from what I have right now. So oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah. You still parking in it? No, I won't be parking in it. My wife will park in, in the single bay. Uh, or, so it's pretty much the exact same thing you've got now. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So um, <laughs> pretty <laughs> should much. be pretty easy to set up then. No, well, well, I park in my garage too. So so my yeah. wife parks in there and I park in there too. When I when we move to the other new house, my car is getting older and it really, I don't care anymore. So I won't be parking in there. So I'll actually have a solid two bays to have tools in and then, you know, backing out the third bay for when I have to like load, uh, unload lumber, plywood, whatnot, process things. So yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. So yes, I went back to work last week. This is, I'm finishing up my second week now. I've, I've not done much in the shop over the weekend. Um, I was doing house projects, which is, you know, nothing I really need to talk about here because it's not woodworking related. But at work, I've been building some things. I finished up a, a couple projects that I started when I left, which were tables. Yeah, I, I build stuff pretty quick over there. I don't post a lot of it on Instagram. I guess I should post more of it. But um, we built a couple cabinets. I built a credenza. I said we build stuff pretty quick. So it's like I, did, I built a credenza in a day. Um, Dang. Yeah. Yeah. Helps a lot when you don't have to record, doesn't it, guy? (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't have to record. And, you know, you've got this abundance of really nice tools and you can, you know, there's carts and there's room and there's just all kinds of stuff. And you can zoom stuff through stuff pretty darn quick. Yeah. Makes a big Uh, difference, I'm sure. It makes a really big difference. 
so that's pretty much it. I'm trying to think if there's anything coming up that I need to talk about. Nope, not really. Pretty boring, I know. <laughs> so I guess that's going to do it for the show. And uh, we would like to also thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. This really does help us in the church, the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate your support and feedback. Please remember that this podcast is here to answer questions from you, the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact. That's like the subliminal thing. I keep saying you. <laughs> podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. You can reach me at guyswoodshop.com. And we, where can you be found? Alabamawoodworker.com. And uh, links to my social media are all there. So, Sean, how about you? Before I say that, let me mention, if you guys really wanted to help us out and you're going to be sending us questions, if you don't mind, send those through the contact form on the on the webpage. Um, Instagram doesn't make it exactly easy to get those out of the DMs and on a spreadsheet. <laughs> But um, yeah, if you could do that, that'd be great. But you can find me at Simple Cove on social media and on my website, simplecove.com. Who wants to? Who wants to be the point for taking complaints about me? (laughs) We'll let iTunes take care of that. No, 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 no. no, no. no. We won't let iTunes. (laughs) No. No. Do you want want those to go to you, Sean? Well, whoever wants to to field those, you guys DM me. I'll take them. Uh, okay, cool. And for sure, really, really, please, please send us your questions. Please send us your yeah. questions. We need yeah. more questions. So go to the website, hit that form, fill them out. So it's fun, guys. We will, uh, I guess, talk again in a couple weeks. That's talk right. In a couple. Bye. See you guys. Right. Bye.